You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your hosts, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hello? Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome in to another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator of the show, Todd Fox, and another host of the show, Gabby Gabby. And we are back and live, ready to kick off another episode. But before we do, let's let you guys know where you can find us in our previous shows. Look us up on iHeartRadio, Facebook, The Grinds, all sorts of uh, podcast mediums. Just look us up under the Grinding True Crime Podcast and you will find us. So listen to our previous shows. As a matter of fact, this is a continuation of our previous shows. This will be part four of the Golden State Killer, second part of East Area Rapist. So if you didn't hear the first part, listen to it and you will be disturbed but then you'll at least catch up to where we are because it's very disturbing by the way speaking of that children your discretion is advised if you have kids at your house you might not want them listening to it because dog gets into details and you know you might be hearing some things that little kids don't need to hear ain't that right yes sir all right so without all that being said todd break down part four of the golden state killer second part of the East Area Rapist. Okay, so in part four of this series, uh, this is the second part, as Matt said, of the East Area Rapist series. It's going to be basically in the middle, and we're going to catch the middle cases. And then as we go along next uh, week or next episode is going to be the conclusion of the the East Area Rapist series, and it's going to get more and more illicit as we go along. So... With that being said, um, as we get into the fourth part of this series, we're still in Northern California area, south of Sacramento and east of the Bay, focusing on the Rancho Cordova area and adjacent cities surrounding it. The East Area Rapist uh, uh, has already passed nine attacks at this point. He's in the media. He's in the newspaper. Uh, They've had a a couple, um, at this time, they've had a couple community meetings set up by uh, Richard Shelby and Carolyn Daly. Daly was the one working with women and the uh, focusing on the struggles and the PTSD that they got from the actual attacks. And Shelby was a detective on the original Rancho uh, Cat Burglar uh, series, which was our first episode. And um, he's working these cases as well. <clears throat> he's had a couple close run-ins with suspects or guys that fit the description, but nothing has come of it. And the the people in the communities are freaking out at this point. They're buying firearms. Uh, they're buying big dogs, things like that. What were you going to say, Matt? They, they're getting ready. Yeah, they're yeah. for war. They are. And so far with what's happened, none of those things have stopped him. So Exactly. I want to know what happens. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing, too, is the people are upset at these community meetings because they're like, why are you basically telling us now? And they were like, well, just go out and, you know, if you can't afford a home system, you know, a security system, purchase new locks for every door, you know, uh, get like some uh, something to wedge the sliding glass doors because almost everyone has a sliding glass door. People are upset, like, hey, don't throw this back on us. Do your job. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the police, the police are actually booed off the stage in both of them because they're just not satisfying the people, and do you blame them at this point? Yeah, because they kept information from them. I'll be booing them too. Yeah, they could have been prepared with more time. Yeah, exactly. So, um, <clears throat> and here's the thing too, though, in these community meetings at the time, they weren't also mentioning the fact, which they should have just thrown all their cards out on the table. They didn't. They didn't mention that, hey, 
um, in the areas where he attacks, he'll call random people on the street, you know, several homes with hang-up phone calls, you know, stuff in your community may be missing at times. Uh, look for break-ins, windows, screens off the windows, you know. They didn't mention any yeah. of that stuff. So wow. attack number 10, uh, December 18th, 1976, um, well, in that same neighborhood, things like that started to happen. Phone calls, things being missing. And unfortunately, a 16-year-old who was playing piano happened to be home at night in Carmichael, which is, again, right next towards, uh, to uh, Rancho, um, was playing her piano, having a, you know, she's really good at her lessons. She has a, prof- uh, what is it, a show or um, what's it called for her high school, a play or whatever to... Anyway, a piano performance, and yeah. um, upcoming in the next week. Well, as she's playing, picture this in her room or in the front room with a big piano, and you're focused in on playing piano. All of a sudden, you feel a knife right at your back. Ooh. Yeah, and a man with through clenched teeth saying, if you scream, <clears throat> I'll stab you and be gone in the night, and you'll be dead. Do what I say, and you will live. He took her to the back uh, patio, tied her to uh, the patio table, asked her if she's ever had sex before. He went into the house, did his uh, usual ransacking, then told her, I want you to play with my penis, which she did. And he took a knife, though, and while she's, you know, just blindfolded, he tore all her clothes off. And then he (gasps) he proceeded to rape her. And then... He also upped it by anally raping her, which she was in a lot of pain with that. Um, He would rape her two more times while rummaging the house, coming in and out, before finally leaving two hours later. Um, This guy's such a pedophile. Most of them have been young, huh? Yeah, at this time, most of them have been young, yes. Uh, no one really over the age of 23 at this point. Uh, that was that was the, but that will change as well. <clears throat> um, okay. When the police came, they found a bandaid, however, because they found the mo was all the same as the East Area Rapist. They went through the house, found the same kind of things, whatnot, but they found a bandaid which they tested. Which two weeks later, they would find the blood type, which was uh, ABO positive. Uh, and they they knew that this wasn't the victim's because she had no cuts on her prior to this whole situation and the Band-Aid. She said she didn't have a Band-Aid, so they knew it came from him. Um, the description was the same. She said that he appeared to be in, in his uh, mid to late 20s. And um, the same description went out, and they put out a be on the lookout. There was a suspicious van in the area, and they don't know if it was, if it was that vehicle, but... Uh, after that, there was nothing that came of it. So then, wow. yeah, so then uh, <clears throat> January 18th, 1977, a new year starts in Sacramento, California, the state's capital, where a woman in her late in her late 20s, or actually early 20s, is sleeping comfortably when a flashlight woke her up and a man shined, a, uh, shined the flashlight right in her face with a knife and a ski mask and was looking right at her. The usual... Uh, routine happens with the knots, the rummaging, the tying of the woman up, the blindfolding. He stayed in her house for four hours. Dang, man. Four hours raping the pregnant woman four times. He, Another he, prego. Yep. He got in He got in through the dining room window. He stole the car, uh, the, car uh, the, the victim's car, and then drove it four blocks away and then just left the car there. And this was different only in the situation that the woman happened to be the first non-white woman he raped. Oh, wow. This was actually a pregnant Asian woman at the time. Oh, wow. So all his victims prior to this were all white women? Yes. Wow. And so this was the first attack, attack that actually happened in the state's capital in Sacramento. So this got a lot of attention. Because it brought like an entire police force to now work the case along with Shelby, because now they're they're saying, "Oh man, this guy's striking in the state's capital. This is a bad look." 
And mm-hmm. once they linked the MO, the knots and everything, and the fact that he was rummaging through the house, they knew they had their guy again. So do you think that stops them or slows them down? Oh, no, that that makes them go go harder in the paint, as we say. Yeah, just... I agree. Yeah, well, you guys are both right. Just six days later, on January 24th, 1977, back to uh, Citrus Heights, 2 a.m., a woman was awake, awakened, and a man uh, was was already flipping her over. So she must have been a deep sleeper. Dang. Uh, yeah, he, he was in the process of flipping her on her stomach before she woke wow. up. <laughs> wow. I want to be able to yeah, sleep man. like that. Man. I can feel when someone's staring at me. I don't know how the heck she didn't feel anything. See, I'm a light sleeper, he's already, too. He's already took her pants <laughs> off. And she's, she's... I mean, we're not laughing at the situation. We're just laughing yeah, at the Yeah, we're not laughing yeah. at the situation. We're just laughing at the Dang, she must have been really deep sleep. Must have been tired, man. I don't know, but <clears throat> one of them days he was already binding her and his and and you know tying her up with those knots, pre-cut stuff, the whole deal, right? The difference with this mm-hmm. one is the stench and the smell was so bad <clears throat> that she had a hard time breathing. And she, yeah, she she said that it was a worse body odor that she's ever smelled in her life. Dang. <clears throat> yeah. I wonder if it's like the no disrespect, but it's probably like the do you think it was like the BO from like homeless people? You know how you walk by oh, homeless yeah, yeah, people. Yeah. You well, know She didn't describe it as a urine smell, but she said it was just a smell that was just so terrible that like, wow. like again it was choking her up. You know how you when you when you you get a stench of something or maybe even if you do walk by a homeless encampment and get that urine strong urine smell, you kind of cough yeah, it because yeah. it smells like pneumonia. Like yeah. Yeah. gagging. Exactly. That's what she was doing. Dang. Yeah, so um and the same description was given um you know that he that he was, you know, small penis. Uh he lubricated himself twice. And he raped her twice, and he tied her up. He went through, stole stole minor things. He um, he told her uh, he had fun a uh, fun time by calling her by name. Like he would, he already knew her name. So the entire time he went out of his way to just use her name, whether he when it was when he was raping her, threatening her, whatever, talking about um, her family. He used her name specifically, her full name. Um, All right. And he also, what he did was he changed her ties up two or three times. And mm-hmm. she noticed that through her blindfolds that he took the original ties that he tied her up with and put them in his pocket when he put his pants back on. So the police believed that he liked that woman or the situation so much he took it as trophies. Mm. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and the, the frustrating thing at this point Detective Shelby and the Sacramento police had three suspects on surveillance that looked really good for at least some of the rapes, if not all of the rapes, and they had them on surveillance, but when the call came in, all three were home, and so they were just wiped off the... So right away, they had no suspects after this break-in. Dang. Yeah, so that was pretty frustrating. That's crazy. Yep. So, once again, the, another frustrating thing to the police is several people came forward after the fact saying that they had hang-up calls, things were stolen, they had, and one person actually said, hey, I saw a ski mask-wearing uh, guy jumping from um, yard to yard, he even went through my yard, and the police were like, and you did not call the police? And he's like, I didn't think much of it. What? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. No, that's crossing my private property. Not on a thing. He's like, he's like, honey, I just saw a guy hop over a fence with a ski mask. That's okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, and at this time, he has no excuse as a neighbor because it's now plastered all over TV, and it's in the newspapers. So, you you've had to heard about it. So, I mean, even if it's not in the papers. If I see a ski masking guy going through my yard or it appears he has a weapon and stuff, I'm going to freak out and call the cops. Yeah, as you should. Yeah, but but again, these people wait till the situation happens. Then they're all, hey, uh, I got some information. 
idiot. What an idiot. Yep. But here's the thing, and this is a problem I have that happened. Now, this is 1977, and you remember last uh, two episodes ago, we did the Visalia ransacking, right? Mm-hmm. And um, as these things are taking place, the Visalia police and will be frustrated all the way up until 2015 because in 1977 they were trying to link their cases, the, the murder and the attempted murder and all the, the, you know, the kidnappings and the, the stolen property to the – they said, you know what, this guy fits the M.O. He's done the same things. And they tried telling the, the cops in Rancho Cordova, Shelby, and, and the Sacramento Police Department that these two cases are linked. They're linked, trust me, you know. And they kept saying, well, your description of your bad guy, he's chubby. Ours is a skinny guy. And, yes, they do the same things. Maybe he's a copycat, but they they wouldn't link him because of the weight. But they were – Wow. Yeah, and that was the most frustrating thing because Vice- – Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that sucks. Yeah, and, and so they were trying to link it this entire time, but they wanted no part of it. They are like, no, you got, you're just trying to close your cases over there. So <clears throat> that was frustrating right there. Um, Stupid. Yeah, they didn't – back then, again, cops didn't work with each other uh, from different departments. Um, so by this time, uh, attack number 13 starts – at 6:45 a.m. in the city of Carmichael again on and uh, on February 7, 1977. So a little few more days later, uh, a 31-year-old woman, which is <clears throat> now the oldest in the series, was helping her was helping her su- husband um, get ready for work. As he was about to leave, he leaned into the house and said, "Hey, uh, I have a weird feeling." With all that rapist stuff going around, can you lock the doors and make sure you lock the windows? And, you know, call me if anything. You know what I mean? And and I'm, I'm only 10 minutes away. Okay. Love you, dear. And then he took off. Five minutes later, the woman had locked up things and began to do the dishes when she felt someone staring at her in the kitchen. She turned around and right uh, alongside of her was the rapist staring right at her. He was How already, the heck does he get in? He was How already in the house. In? Oh, dang. He he was hiding. Oh, so he was in there before he left? Yep, he was hiding in the closet waiting for the husband to leave. Wow. Wow. Yep. So, um. He's stepping it up. He is. He came in this time with a gun. And uh, he forced her to kneel down. She uh, She was resisting at first. And then she stopped, and then he dragged her to the room next to her six-year-old daughter's room, who was sleeping. She began to resist and struggle, and he tried. She even tried to grab his gun, but then he, the uh, the rapist, um, took a knife from the other hand and stabbed the pillow within inches of her of her face, and said, "I, I can stab you to death right now if you don't want if you don't stop. I'm gonna either kill you or I'm gonna go to your daughter's room." cut her ear off and bring it to you. And so, (gasps) yeah. So with that, she shut up and stopped resisting. So here's the thing. So he began to rape her. Then he stopped real quick and then he started to do his normal stuff. But then he came back to rape her again. And the six year old had woke up and came in the room and started screaming. He said, shut up or else I'll cut you up. The mom said, "The mom said, stop, stop, stop! Please don't hurt." And then, like, she said something to him that apparently just took him out of the mood. And then he just like left her tied up and walked out. And so, fortunately, the six-year-old wasn't, uh, you know, unless she has memories of it, was unaffected, wasn't tied up, nothing like that. And the the mom unfortunately was raped, but you know, the same description was given: very small penis. Um, yeah, that pinky famous now. Yeah, it is, and and I'll tell you exactly how big it is when we get going here, because there's a there's a one that actually she actually calls it. So, <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's jacked up, man. <laughs> and you'll you'll get a good picture of his penis. I'll pause, but right, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> only one I want to see is mine. <laughs> 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 oh man! All right, uh, they figured 
They, carry on. <laughs> yeah, carry on. <laughs> um, they figured out, though, through sperm samples that he left on her and on the uh, bed that he is a non-secretor. <clears throat> so a non-secretor means the person does not have blood in their bodily fluids, and that's actually a small percentage of the um, population. So. Oh, wow. So there's no DNA in his... No, at this time, this we're about, shoot, 1977. We're about uh, 15 years from doing any kind of DNA. Dang. So what exactly does that mean? Um, the fact that his sperm had, had uh, no blood in it means about 20% of the population only has that uh, scenario. So if they find sperm or they test some other person's sperm and they have blood in it, then they know it's not their suspect. So they're figuring sure. that this is their best shot right here because the bodily fluids don't have... Because even in some saliva or other bodily fluids that you secrete, like even, I guess, in blood or whatever, it's or in your uh, stool, there's no blood in it. So that's the... It's a rarity. So the police were thinking at this time, all right, this is a good good lead. Um, oh, it would narrow it down. Yeah, yeah. So it will narrow down. So if they needed to test a, sub, a suspect, they can do it. Um. So the police were able to eliminate some suspects as the case went on. But um, just a few days later, on February 16th, 1977, picture this. The Miller family are watching television. It's about 10, 10.30 in the evening. They're watching um, Jeopardy or something like that. And they're all sitting around the, the, you know, the family front room. Everything's going good. Uh, Mr. Uh, East Area Rapist, though, jumps their their uh, yard, and he comes into theirs. Now, usually he's very sneaky, very quiet, and not that many people have seen him. However, maybe it was dark, or too dark, and he stumbled and, like, basically knocked over their, their charcoal uh, barbecue grill. Um, mm. As they heard the noise, their 18-year-old son got up with the father and came out to see who was in the yard. They saw the rapist with a knife in one hand and just a bag in the other. And he was wearing dark clothes and a ski mask. He then jumped the fence. The son said, Oh hell no. And he goes, you get back here. And he chased him. They went into two. Yeah. They went into two yards before the 18 year old with the father right behind him on the fence, jumping the fence with him. (sighs) The last thing he said he heard for a while was the cocking of a gun as he's on the top of the third fence. Before he hits the ground, he's shot in the stomach. Um, the father then hides behind the fence and says, leave him alone, leave him alone. Don't shoot, don't shoot. And he hear, And he looks over the fence to see the intruder already going into the other yard. So that he hops the fence, grabs his son, holds him behind a car, and starts yelling for help. Um, the police come. And, you know, they, they, the paramedics come. Fortunately, the 18-year-old son, in a week after a week of recovery, makes it out of surgery. And he winds up living, still alive to this day. And uh, when the Shelby comes, at first they're not calling it the rapist attack, but then everything just fit. They even see the same shoe prints. And he actually drops a couple of, what do you call it, shoelaces that were already tied in diamond knots down the street. So they knew it was the rapist and he was probably starting his night to creep on somebody and attack somebody in that neighborhood. Wow. What a stupid boy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't chase, you don't chase after a suspect. Yeah. And this, and this, and then look, it's the same thing that happened to the police officer when he was jumping those fences. Same thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, this was a failed attempt at that time, but, uh, you know, Things were learned, but uh, unfortunately, you know, that kid almost paid with his life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, attack number 14 happened March 8th, same year, Carmichael. Uh, the attack happened nearly textbook to the others with a knife and dressed with, uh, you know, he in the same, same uh, way he dressed, the same way with the threats and clenched uh, teeth. He raped the woman, but um, a little bit. A little bit was different. He fondled the woman's breast for a while 
we're talking like 30, 40 minutes just squeezing and touching her breast. So she must have had big Gonzagas. Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't think anyone else used that word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> man, <Cino> man. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then um, 30 minutes of fondling someone's Gonzagas. 30 minutes of that. Gonzaga falling, fondling, yeah. And then here's the other weird thing. And here's what I want to know. <clears throat> he took her index finger and squeezed it as hard, as hard as he could for a while until it bled, and then he stopped. What? what? Yeah. And then and how, could one, how could you do that? I have no idea. Dude. I mean, I don't know if he broke her nail. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't say... It just says that he squeezed the crap out of her hand or her finger, her index finger, until it bled. Then he stopped, rummaged, and left. Wow. Yeah. What's wrong with this guy? And then here is the dumb, you know, we all talked about how stupid the police were in the beginning of this show, in this episode, for not warning, you know, people about the pre-stuff you know, the pre -stuff he does before he attacks. Yeah. Get a load of our... Of our uh, what do you call it? State Capitals Police Department. This is Sacramento PD, mind you. So after this attack, there's a, a row of hedges of bushes that's just adjacent to the woman's house that covers a, another apartment and another house, right? Um, the neighbors found a bag in the hedges. And in the bag was a ski mask, a rope, pre-tied knots, and a flashlight and gloves. What do you guys think the police department do with this information given to them? Mm. They've already done some dumb stuff, so let me say <laughs> they do nothing. They throw it away. Okay, what do you think, Gabby? I think they picked it up, didn't even look through it, and put it away. Well, close, Gabby, but Matt nailed it. They told the neighbors, they didn't even throw it away. They told the neighbors to throw it away. Wow. <laughs> they said it has nothing to do with the case. Exactly. I mean, there could have been fingerprints, wow. right? It yeah. It couldn't be stupider. Yeah. And, and so then the thing was, the neighbor actually said, you know what? We don't need any of this stuff. And he actually threw the entire bag away, except... He said the flashlight was too nice to throw away, which they actually came back to him to try to lift the fingerprints five years later. But, of course, he's used the flashlight several times, so any fingerprints that would be there are long gone. Yeah. So, <laughs> awesome police work wow. right there. <laughs> Wait, great detective work, guys. Yeah. And then here's the other thing. They found about six cigarette butts next to that... Um, bag after you know the neighbors said they found the bag and uh they didn't collect any of them wow i bet they was thrown away too yeah they didn't well they just didn't collect them and like if the gardener came or whatever they just disposed of them or you know blew them into They're the like, street huh? yeah pretty much like eh, it has nothing to do with the case okay. <laughs> they're gonna see the suspect coming out of a window and say oh he has nothing to do with it yeah right <laughs> Oh, that half-naked guy? Body. That half-naked guy? Nah, he has nothing to do with the case. Nah. <laughs> we found some rope. Nope, it's not diamond. <laughs> yep. That is a stupid policeman. Wow. Yep. Our, our uh, state's finest right there. That's 1977 <laughs> for you. If I was one of those cases, I would have sued them. Yeah, right? I mean, knowing now, I mean, they could have nipped it in the butt or at least gotten close, you know? Mm-hmm. So that moves us ahead a month to March 18, 1977, back in Rancho Cordova. A home on Benny Way got a ton of breathing calls for a week. Like just, Dang. you know what I mean? And then just hang-ups, you know? And so uh -huh. one night, the mom got pissed off and took a whistle and blew it into the phone as hard as she could. <clears throat> Dang. Then, that would piss me off. Yeah. Then a day later, the daughter answered the phone, and a guy claiming to be a roofer asked if the daughter or asked the daughter if the father was home. She said, 
and uh, she must be related to these police. She said, <laughs> <laughs> she said her parents were gone for the weekend. Oh, wow. Well, that'll do it. <laughs> so, you know, you're basically saying, hey, come rape me. I'll, I'll be here. Pretty much. Yeah. Dang. So, um, after that phone call was placed, the next three phone calls were placed to the Sacramento Police Department from the rapist. <clears throat> he called in and said, and, and breathing to the operator, I'm the East Area Rapist. You will never catch me, you pigs. And then he laughed on the second call. And then the third call, when the, dete- the lieutenant picked up, he said, I'm the East Area Rapist. I already have my uh, next victim lined up. And you can't stop me. Laughed and hung up. He's already laughing in their faces. Pretty He's much. laughing at his supervisor. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. One of his supervisors. Yeah. <laughs> one of his supervisors. <laughs> he sounded like Home Alone. Come and get me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, the 16 year old wasn't lying. She was home alone. Um, she came home actually from work. She had a part time job after school. She barely got to the kitchen to wash her hands when the East Area rapist who was already hiding in her house creeped up from behind her and told her, I will stab you if you don't do what I say. And the same binding and blindfolds plus ransacking, the eating of food, going back and forth, yelling things throughout the house. He would do all of that. And uh, to change things up a little bit, though, to scare her and, I guess, get closer to his fetish and to help him sexually... He took scissors and was clipping them like real, like heavy duty slipper uh, scissors to her cheek and to her face, like if he was going to cut her up really bad. Yeah, so he was threatening her. She was freaking out. Um, He would rape her and do other things in the house, come back, rape her again, have her play with himself. He would play with her, just all kinds of stuff like that. And then finally, he would take off. and then, you know, the Sacramento Bee at this time was all over it saying the East Area Rapist is striking again. We need to do something. Uh, the prank call to the cops was played on television to see if anyone recognized the voice. Uh, nobody did. Um, the poor girl and her parents were freaked out. They actually moved away from the area like the very next uh, weekend. They were gone. They didn't want to deal with it. They moved, they moved out of state. Um and then, then the Sacramento Bee wrote a huge article, like three days later, and it had a map of all the attacks. And they said, the the man has never the rapist has never struck while a man's in the house, and or a big dog. It's always been little dogs and woman women by themselves or their husbands away, things of that nature. So, what do you think the rapist did next? He said, oh, okay, you think I'm a coward. I'm going to rape somebody with the husband home. Bingo. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, there's no shame in his game. He said, oh, really? Okay, so that's what we got to do, huh? So the next attack that occurred um, on April 2nd, 1977, 3.20 a.m., a Sacramento woman, again, uh, with her two children and her husband, and her uh, husband, Boyfriend, I'm sorry, in the house. Uh, had gotten home late from a get-together around 11 o'clock, so they went to sleep around 12. Uh, they were all asleep when all of a sudden a flashlight and a gun was pointed in their faces. Um, he then put a gun t- on the couple. He ordered the man to lie on his stomach. He had the girlfriend with a pre-cut ties and knots already to tie up her her uh, her boyfriend. Then he took the girl, pushed her on the, on the uh, bed as well, he tied her up really tight, and then he went over to the guy, not trusting the woman, and tied him up even tighter to the point where his hands began to get purple after a while. Hey. Uh, yeah. Then, <clears throat> then he began to give them a story. He started saying that he was a drug addict and that he needed to um, get back to his van. He was former military, and he needed to drive back to Bakersfield. All he wanted was money, and he'd be gone. But um, he grabbed the girlfriend and walked her and said, well, I need you to take me to your purse. So as he walked her to the front room, he pushed her on the couch, came back, put some dishes on the boyfriend as he was rummaging through the cupboards and said, you know what? 
and I put a saucer and a, like a teacup on his on his back. He said, if I hear these fall on the floor, he goes, I'm either going to kill you or I'm going to kill your girlfriend. He goes, what do you want it to be? And then the man was just like struggling, like, no, 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 no I'm not going to do nothing. So he says, lie still. These One of these falls, you're dead, man. So the guy's freaked out. <clears throat> and so he brushes the knife on the man's face just to it, it reiterate what he said, you know, sort of like scrape his Emphasizing. face. Emphasizing. Yes, big time. And um, he grabbed the uh, he grabbed her when he went back into the front room. And he said, uh, he says, have you want to have sex with me? And she said, no. And he goes, wrong answer. And he proceeded to rape her. And as he did, he said, had, he goes, did you have sex with your, your boyfriend tonight? And she said, no. And then he said, you're lying. And then he started to anally rape her. And she screamed, why? And he goes, because I seen you have sex with him. <gasps> yeah. Ew. Exactly. So he knew he was already there. He was already like either there or scoping them out. So I guess when they came home, they tucked the kids in. They had sex before they went to sleep. He knew about it Mm -hmm. somehow, some way he knew about it. Mm. So after he did that, though, he's raping her anally. He sodomizes her right after. And uh, yeah. And then he slips high heels on her, rapes her one more time. And then uh, he goes back to make sure the kids are still asleep and then checks on the boyfriend and then uh, he takes off 20 minutes later. Um, that one was pretty brutal. The The police were there within minutes, though, after they got the initial call. All the same characteristics, all the same stuff. So they knew that they, again, he struck again. And um, once again, you had nosy neighbors that came up to the police and were like, What's going on here? Oh, someone got raped. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Um, I've been getting some phone calls lately. <laughs> and then uh, someone else said... Oh, someone People else said, haven't caught up yet? Yeah, they haven't caught up yet. Then someone else said, yeah, my bike was stolen a couple of days ago. I'm like, here we go. <laughs> you know, all over again. Why didn't they say anything? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nobody you know, said I'm nothing. still bothered by the fact that the police department announced all of the things that would keep him away because they just further challenged the psycho... Mm-hmm. Like he's already making fools out of you. You don't think he's gonna react based on what you say to make you look even stupider? Yeah. He he's taking it as a challenge, and like you said, they're openly saying, "Well, you didn't do this, you know. Well, so, so you're just gonna do this." And then he's like, "Okay, I'll, I'll show okay. you. Yeah, I'll show my peers." <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, and so so this again, it happens. And then on April 15, 1977, in the city of Carmichael, a husband and wife are fast asleep when, again, they're woken up with the same thing, a, a blinding flashlight to the face and a gun pointed right at him. Saying, but this time he amps it up and says, if you make any sudden moves or run, he goes, I'll blow your brains out and they'll be all scattered all over your floor. He told the woman to tie up the husband again with pre, pre-cut stuff. The husband did... Or, I mean, the wife did, tied the husband up, and then he retied the husband, tied the woman up, and he left the room for about 15 minutes, not saying anything, um, but then he came back and gave the story again about the van and everything. He put dishes on the husband's back, then he took the woman into the other room, and unfortunately, this guy was, like, super in love with his wife. They were newlyweds. He was crying the whole uh-huh. time, and he could hear the woman, you know, you know it seemed like he would cry and the rapist decided, you know what? I'm too far to where he can't hear this. And he actually brought her closer so that he could hear his wife being raped by him. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, the entire time or half the time he put a knife to her throat and was threatening to slit her throat as she, he was raping her. And he was getting off the fact that she was trembling in fear. So like her body was like, almost seizuring with fear and he was just loving that fact wow um, the he felt powerful absolutely and here's where the, the husband couldn't take it anymore because he was hearing her whimper he moved and one of the dishes fell to the floor breaking oh great the rapist got up and was furious he ran into the kitchen grabbed another plate 
went over to the, the husband's head, put the gun and cocked it to, at the guy's temple and said, if you want to breathe one more time, you won't move. He goes, one more dish falls, you're dead, and then I'm killing your wife. That's uh, tough, dude. And then he would proceed to rape her three more times before he had enough, and he decided to leave. And um, after this, um, the, uh, the <clears throat> after this, the cops were called. They came, and a couple differences in this one is the fact that the couple right away admitted to the police that they had drugs at their house. They had a um, few ounces of weed, and they actually had some cocaine, all of which were missing. You know, he rummaged through the wow. entire house. Of course they were. Yeah. And then <clears throat> um, looking out one of the windows, Shelby saw an empty house right across the street, and he had a feeling. So he went over there to check the empty house, which was just uh, brand new and he found a, a cigarette butt and he found two beer cans and then some rope so basically the east area rapist was can't was you know casually looking at the house from across the street and scoping it out did they finally keep these things or did they say it doesn't have anything to do with the case no shelby actually kept it he actually kept it and was they tried to find fingerprints used to be the only one, the only one with a brain yeah exactly <laughs> Well, I mean, not totally because he should have believed the Visalia guys too, but he did it. So, yeah. but but you're right. As far as the most competent at this time, yes, he is very. He's the only one. Um, more. He's more, not Fender. Yeah. So then the police actually send yeah. out more officers to canvas the area, and they find out, hey, again, the neighbors didn't report anything. It, even here's the most frustrating part. And Shelby got so angry at the parents of the woman. It was a it was a sixteen year old girl. She actually saw a man dressed in almost all black with a ski mask on walking through her front yard, headed towards the house that was you know that and he raped the woman. Um, just fifteen minutes prior, because they traced back the time that she said that it happened. So after the rape, you know, the girl came forward and her parents. And they were like, how, how come you didn't report it? What did you do when you saw the guy? What do you think the girl did at about 10.30 at night when she saw the guy in the front yard? Went to sleep. No. What do you think, Abby? Mm. 10.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. And she saw him walking toward that house. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say she just probably went in her room and she might have been a little frightened but she just went to watch tv or something and did nothing put on her walkman it was about 70 percent right she literally closed the blinds sat uh made sure the front door was locked sat down in the easy chair and watched tv (laughs) oh my god i swear (laughs) These parents are not raising their kids correctly. No, they're not. Like, no alert, no warning. Wow. (laughs) Because who knows? She could have maybe saved the the couple, you know? Yeah, they could have caught him there in the act. Mm Mm-hmm. Instead, she chose not to say anything until the rape actually occurred, and then she mentioned it in, like, a morning breakfast or whatever to her family. I would have slapped her so hard. I would have been pissed off, too, if I was the officer. Yeah. Exactly. So this now the 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 Sacramento Bee is told by the police department don't say anything, don't antagonize this guy because we've now had two straight rapes and attackings of a ho- with men in the house. So stop it, you know. And um yeah. So now on the third attack, uh on the very next attack is May 3rd, 1977 in Sacramento, and this was a little bit different cuz all the houses throughout this entire scenario had happened in single story. So there's no no two story. This, however, was a very nice home in Sacramento. The married couple was well off and they had two kids in the house. He woke them up with the same flashlight and forty five uh caliber handgun to their heads and he began to do all the normal things, all the threats, all the plates on their backs, everything. He made sure the kids were fast asleep, but he changed up the things things a little bit when he said where's your drugs and where where's your money he found he knew that they had weed and he found it 
and he knew they had money and he took it. Usually he's like leaves the money, you know, he doesn't really go for money. But mm-hmm. he found he found money but not as much as he thought he would and he started yelling at him. Then he gets the wife, takes her out of the room, tells the husband he's actually going to go rape his wife and he still better not hear a, a a plate fall off his back. And then he starts to lubricate himself up to her, you know, by her face. So, and, 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 you know, she's blindfolded and everything. And he says, you know what that sound is or what that means? And then she says, no, have, she goes, no. And then he goes, well, you're about to find out. And, um, he ordered her to play with it. And then once he was satisfied, he began to, uh, he, he, <laughs> he left the room after she played with it, which is contrary to what you think would happen. He he uh-huh. ate, he ate some food and left her sitting there like oh my god you know I just touched this man's penis, and now he took off. What's he doing now? And then uh, right when she was like just trying to get her bearings straight and she thought that he had left, he comes right back and rapes her. Um, wow! The husband spit out his gag and began to yell, and this pit, yeah this pissed off the um, the East Area rapist because he's upstairs. He's downstairs with a wife, and all of a sudden he hears a neighbor respond to the man yelling, and he's like, okay, I got to go. And so he had to take off, and she's lucky that he didn't stab her or nothing, but he took yeah. off and left her there. Um, once they did, um, um, you know, the neighbor came over, found out what happened. The kids woke up. They called the cops. The husband told them he had gloves on, mentioned that, that he was in the military, um, and here was something a little bit different too. While he was raping the woman, he actually told her and he asked her, how tall are you? And then the woman said, I'm six one, which she was an inch full inch taller than him. <laughs> and, um, Wait, he's five ten, right? Yeah, he's six feet. Oh yeah. He's five ten. I'm sorry. Yeah. Five ten. Oh, five ten. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, Dang, two... so she was bigger than him. Yeah. She was bigger than him. And, um, he he actually told her, I really don't usually mess with, with uh, taller women. And um, to this, she she didn't have a reply. But when she was talking with the cops, she says his penis was small. Like, she kept repeating herself, his penis was small. And um, they uh, <laughs> they said, how small? He must really got a, I, I'm sorry, but not because he must really got a small one long. Because, uh, <laughs> because for them to really emphasize his penis is small you must really got a small jimmy oh yeah and and, he, and here's what she said too the the cop said well how small was the penis and um <laughs> and so she she repeated herself and said the circumference or the width of the penis can't be no larger than a quarter and wow she feels from bottom to shaft that it it was probably no more than four, maybe five inches fully erect. Yeah, that's not getting pretty far. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that's a, a freaking hot dog. <laughs> no, it's a hot dog. It's an Oscar Mayer. No, that's, that might be an Oscar Mayer. No, what that is is a, it's a, what do you call it? It's a Dodger dog, Dodger dog <laughs> miniaturized. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> it's a dill pickle. You had to bring the Dodgers into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to. Let me keep that away. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, the hatred's real. Dang, <laughs> man. So, so despite the small penis lead, uh, there was no further leads in this case. However, the cops began to believe he might have been a construction worker or a real estate agent because he was always around properties either being sold, uh, renovated, construction or under construction. Yeah. And um, so these communities weren't all that finished, you know, at the time. You know, you'd have half of them livable, half of them not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so two days later, um, May 5th, 2.40 a.m., a real estate couple were sleeping when the rapist came in and attacked the uh, woman the same ways. Um, he would uh, be torturing this woman uh, psychologically, yelling at her a lot through clenched teeth. Uh, the same descriptions were given. Um, same small penis, and this woman actually said the same thing. She said it was a quarter inch thick, so it wasn't. And, and, and she said four inches for sure long when they asked her what how big his penis was. And then she said uh, he had a hard time, no pun intended, 
keeping an yep. erection. So he was... I want to be shocked. <laughs> yeah. And so I I oh, go ahead. lie, I thought it was smaller than that. <laughs> yeah. She's pulling out the ruler as we speak. She's on four inches. Yeah, she's like, wait a minute, how small is four? <laughs> so, um, he did the same thing with the ropes and the dishes, um, but she, the detectives and Carolyn Daly, the female detective, seemed to think that he didn't get his jollies or his rocks off on this one because she didn't appear to be too scared. She wasn't too intimidated despite having a knife or a threat of a gun and all this other stuff, her, her boyfriend being tied up, she just didn't seem to fall in line with all these other women who were just fearful and just trembling and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, so she, uh, and then his, his uh, again, a lot of these guys who were tied up, by the time they get them untied, their hands are almost purple. And this, this dude, he actually lost feeling in his hands for about a day and a half before the blood flew, uh, flowed freely through his hands for whatever reason. But that's how tight this dude was tied up. Wow. Yeah. Um, but he did sodomize her, and um, he did uh, wind up raping her anally as well. And he tried scaring her so much because he's never told the, any of these women up until this point. But he actually told the woman, if you don't comply with what I'm saying, you don't, you're not fearful of me or this and that. I'll drag you to the river where my van's at and I'll just throw you in tied up and you'll sink to the bottom. No one will ever find you. Tried to scare her like that. And she was oblivious to it. And, um, she, he left out the same, um, backsliding door, which cops saw that he came in through. Uh, the MOs were the same as they found by the police, except for one thing. He took her wedding rings and usually he didn't take valuables, but he forcibly pulled them off of her finger. Um, yeah, dude. He uh, was mad that she didn't react how he wanted to, so he took something that meant something to her. Bingo. You know? See, you you did that right then and there. You got that. You nailed it. The cops probably were like, why did he take the rings? <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> so... Dang. Should have had Gabby on the police force back then. This thing would have been over. Would have been over. <laughs> <laughs> and so she probably was just stone cold like didn't show anything wasn't crying had a straight face probably said are you in there yet it was like <laughs> like something yeah I you mean, know at this point she probably figured like it, like if she went along with his game like it would turn out the same way but she must have just felt like mad at this point like you know what I'm not giving you what you want screw you you know what? You're probably right. You know, coming from a woman's perspective, that's not what I thought at first. At, at first, I thought, you know, maybe she's just like, you know what? I'm not going to show, I'm not going to give him his jollies, but just as like a, what do you call it? But I think you called it right there. And, you know, she wasn't going to allow herself to be demeaned or anything else like that or give him what he wanted. I think that's, uh, I think that's probably what happened. You know, we don't have any further information on that, but that's basically what happened. Um, or I think what happened. But then, then a few days later, on May 17th, uh, three days later, actually, a husband woke up to seeing his, um, a man in his backyard. Uh, he entered through the sliding glass door before he could close it, and he confronted the husband in the house where he tied him up, and uh, his wife was still sleeping at this point. The elderly grandfather and grandmother were in another room sleeping. Um, he woke up the wife and brought her out with a forty five uh, caliber, and... Um, Push, pushed it to her stomach and said, be quiet. If you move, blah, blah, blah. Same stuff. He tied them up. You know, he tied up the wife this time. The husband's already tied up nice and tight. Uh, he went through the house messing with everything. He ordered her to play with his penis. And then he raped her repeatedly a few times, even mm -hmm. coming back and forth to eat. The whole time, the grandparents never woke up during the attack. They were just like the kids. just sawing wood. They were out, so they couldn't help out. Um... The difference with this one is the fact that he told the husband, if I don't hear about this attack on the news tomorrow or read about it in the paper, I will kill two people. And you can quote me on that. I better hear about this in the news. He threatened the husband again and again. You better tell them what I did to your wife. You better tell them how I could have killed you, but I didn't. You better tell them how I could have killed your grandparents, but I didn't. And he said... 
and then he took the knife and again rubbed it on the guy's face to where it just drew a little bit of blood, and then he left. He's loving the attention now, huh? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And we're gonna stop. Wow. We're gonna stop there for this. Dang this man, I thought I was waiting for the next one. <laughs> well, I, I got. You know what? It's a good thing. Okay. I was thinking like uh, it makes sense that the grandparents didn't wake up. Like I swear, my grandmother goes to sleep, and you can make all kinds of noise. She would never know what happened the night before. But in a way, it's good because if they had come out, I mean, what are grandparents really gonna do? He would have knocked them out, and they'd be dead. Yeah, absolutely, and it would have been traumatizing on the poor thing. So. They're yeah. probably, at that point, they're probably in the, what, their 70s, 80s. And, uh, yeah, you don't want that. Tying up the grandparents like that. And who knows, maybe he would have been sick and did something to the grandma. Yeah. yeah. Oh, just yeah. a whack in the head with that gun. They wouldn't be okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. You can kill them or, or break their, uh, what is it called, their, their skull, something like that. So this guy was twisted, and he wanted people to know that he was twisted. So... He wanted the, he wanted the attention, and right now with, that they're writing about him, they're um, you know they're broadcasting about him. It's going to get even more and more intense, and you're going to wonder how in the hell do they not get this guy? And I'm going to give a little preview for the next episode: is they actually call in the highway patrol, which lends them three helicopters. The military gives them a helicopter, and for weeks, months, even. The neighbors will be traumatized by what's going on. The attacks will continue and get worse. And the police helicopters are swarming with spotlights over their neighborhoods at night. And they're still no closer to catching him. Wow. Yep. I'm losing my mind already. This is so frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) And there will be a couple close calls that we will um, describe. And one that you'll be pissed off that happens that they really had a legit chance of catching him. So those are spoilers for next episode. Why you do that to us, man? <laughs> I can't sleep now. <laughs> I know. I'm really. I'm over here looking at the sliding door, like, okay, let me make sure it's locked. <laughs> I know he's caught already, but still. Hey, your father-in-law is gonna be like, "Why are you putting a two by four over the sliding glass Don't door?" Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Don't ask questions. <laughs> It's for our protection, damn it. It's for our protection, dang it. <laughs> I'm going to keep that machete off the case now. <laughs> for real. Take it out. So what do you guys think about this episode, part two? You know what? It just shows how psycho he is. And it's a game to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, nothing will stop him. Even it, He's just like psychotic. Yep. Super psychotic. He is a twisted, lonely, useless piece of trash. Mm-hmm. He needs other people to feel good about himself just because they're giving him all that attention for something horrible he's doing. Otherwise, I don't think he has friends. Wait a minute. Not to cut you off. He's married at this time, right? This whole time he's been married, right? Yes, sir. He's married this entire time. And he's a police wow. officer still at this time. And how does the wife not see it on behavior? I don't know. You must know. be Jackal, Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde. That's about the only thing I can think the of. The only thing I can think of is she does drugs with him, and she's probably knocked out, passed out, while he's out there doing his thing. Well, this woman, unfortunately, we'll find out later what she does. For yeah, her, but. What she does for a profession. But I will say this, though. Um. It's not stated what time in the marriage that this happened, but I will give this away, that Sharon Huddle, the wife of uh, the East Area Rapist, um, Joseph James D'Angelo at the time, they actually weren't sleeping in the same room. They actually had different rooms. Um, So I believe that was in 78, 79 when they started doing that. So they they weren't even sleeping in the same room. I know I'm laughing because I'm thinking it's because she wasn't satisfied. Yeah, that's probably part of it. <laughs> I wasn't putting it down. She kicked him out of the room. She was if she had no prior sexual experience, which we don't know if she did or not. But if she didn't, she was probably saying, "Yeah, you know, 
uh, are you guys, you know, asking her friends, are you guys' husband's penis is, you know, small, you know? They're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, okay, because mine's not, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's probably like, how often is normal? Yeah, right. I mean, God. we have dates once a week. Yeah, or maybe she's Man, going to... I can do this myself. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> My finger bigger than you. Yeah, she's yeah, she's probably looking at her uh, girlfriend's uh, husband's like, wow, your fingers are huge. <laughs> Why are you looking at his finger? Oh, no reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's so stupid. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm. Well, yeah, not all women are the same, but I am so observant. Like with people's personality, reactions, everything. That it's just like, how the hell does a wife not know that her husband is up to something? And see, that's why a lot of people nowadays, online sleuths and even um, police, believe that she knew. She had to have known something. And uh, because I'll just. You know, it's not a big part of the story, but it's important in a way. But I'll just tell you right now, she she wound up being a lawyer, a family lawyer. And um, she knew the fact that if something were to happen criminally, that you're not required and they can't force you to testify against your marriage mate. So I'm thinking she knew at some point, figured it out and just was like, you know what? When he gets caught, you know, if he gets caught, then we'll divorce. And, you know, but until then, I'm not going to leave him because I don't want to be pushed into a situation. Or I could use this as an advantage not to incriminate myself. And and if I stay married to him, I don't have to say Jack. But if we're divorced, then I have to, then they can question me and go after me. Mm. Maybe she was scared of him. She might have been. I mean... Look what, look what, um, we never have heard her side of the story because she won't talk. But Bonnie from the first episode, you know, said that he liked to have sex multiple times, didn't care about her well-being, was, was mean to her. So you, you may be right on that one too. So that's, that's it. crazy. That's the episode. This is for so the week. Twisted. Yeah. I told you this guy, I mean. He he wasn't outrageous, you know, I mean, well, not yet, as, like, the Night Stalker and stuff. Night Stalker was quick, you know. He, he was just real fast. This guy just got off on terrorizing people. I mean, it was like, dude, he, that was his whole thing. It probably wasn't even about the sex. It was just, you know, I want to make these people. The power. Out. Yeah, and power, you're right. It's crazy. I think he, well, yeah, because he already knew he was incapable. He wasn't well-endowed. It, clearly, women wouldn't want him, so that was the only way he was going to get power for himself. Yep. By forcing them and him feeling like, oh, I'm this big bad man. I can do whatever I want with women. Yep. And you know what, too? You mentioned something prior in the other episode. You know, um, his first, his first sexual kind of sexual encounter, as far as sex-wise had to do with his sister being raped, right? That was his first time seeing sex, right? Yep. And seeing his sister being raped. You know how that is, right? You know how they say that usually your first encounter of what it is is usually something that's hard for you. Yeah, like it shifts something around. Like your your first, the first high you ever get. And then you start getting addicted to drugs because you're looking for that first, that high you first got. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was his high? Like, Seeing women abused sexually, like, do you think that was that yeah. triggered something in his mind to say, okay, that's how sex has to be for me? Because it, it, you you did say he got turned on, right? Yeah, yeah didn't he, he did say get he turned got on. turned on. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was it. Like, do you think that was another reason why he did all that? That's a very good point and a very good possibility, and I tend to agree with that because, like you said. If your first uh, sexual uh, thing is oral, you tend to favor that more. And if he's nine years old, very impersonable kid at the time, seeing his sister raped, and maybe he was already screwed up, but that helped him because he he didn't report it. He didn't. Um, he got like he he got kind of att- attracted to that or, or turned on by it. Would would probably lead him down to doing the things that he did. So, and then clarifying things you know with bonnie t- 
taking out on her her body and others probably that he had sex with it's like it just became natural to him so what is taboo to everyone else and is evil was something that he like you said very eloquently it had to happen for him to get off <clears throat> so he he viewed women as objects then yeah i believe so yeah, I, I have to agree with that one too. It, it was wow. it was just a game. So, I mean, <sighs> now I want to see what you have to else to say in the next episode <laughs> to see what was going through his mind. Like seriously, yeah, he'll get more covert because obviously there's more cops out there. There's undercover cops. Like I said, there's helicopters. It's going to get crazier in the next one because now they're just throwing everything at him to stop him. And unfortunately, it doesn't make any, you know, it doesn't make any effect on the storyline. So we'll close out the East Area Rapist, and then we'll get into a very violent stage of the original Night Stalker. Wow. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Part two of the East Area Rapist. This is part four of the totality of the Golden State Killer. So if you want to hear our previous episode that Todd eloquently has talked about in our previous episode, you have to find us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, look us up on Instagram or Facebook, and you can listen to our previous shows. So with that being said, we are signing off. This is your host, Natty Matt, along with our narrator and our great narrator of this show. Todd Fox. And uh, the host of the show. Gabby Gabby. And we are signing off. Later, y'all.